Okay. Um, so, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, we're uh, going to be continuing uh, this morning uh, looking at our series on the presence of God. Um, and uh, my title uh, for this morning uh, is Worship uh, and Commission. And uh, I'm going to be reading uh, from Isaiah chapter 6 uh, about um, a vision that Isaiah had. Um, and then looking uh, from that about uh, what God has to say, uh, say to us about worship and then some points that he has to say about um, being sent into the world, his commission uh, to us. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, an un- of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. These verses bring together just an amazing sense of the awesomeness of God and our right response uh, to him of of worship. But they bring that together, as I said, with uh, commission, the idea uh, that uh, Isaiah was sent uh, by God uh, to his people uh, to bring the word of God to them and to uh, bring uh, life into uh, his um, context. Um, so before we kind of look too much on the detail of that, I just want to uh, quickly have a look at what the context uh, of uh, Isaiah was, uh, what was going on in Isaiah's world, what was the world that he was sent to. Um, so Isaiah was most likely um, a courtier or uh, someone who served uh, the uh, king. Uh, he would probably have been in the palace court, but he was at least from a family of uh, high standing. He uh, served under four different kings. If you uh, read in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, it tells you all the kings he served under. And he served uh, for 50 years, uh, bringing the word of God uh, in that place. And uh, the first king that he served under was uh, Uzziah. Um, It says at the beginning here, this is the year that King Uzziah uh, died. Um, Uzziah was a good king. Um, he, uh, under, uh, under him, the nation prospered both uh, geographically, the borders uh, were uh, bigger, um, they had more land, uh, and it also pros- prospered in terms of wealth. Uh, they became um, uh, prosperous through trade and, uh, and so on. Um, there was, because uh, Uzziah was uh, obedient uh, to God, uh, he honoured God, uh, God honoured the nation. 
Um, but this was a period of uh, turmoil for uh, the, um, the area as a whole. Um, so Uzziah was uh, king of Judah. Uh, Judah uh, was um, the, uh, also known as the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had split uh, years previously. Um, and uh, around uh, this time, uh, the, uh, the northern kingdom had been invaded by the Assyrians. The Assyrian uh, Empire uh, was expanding at that time. Uh, and uh, there would have been a lot of fear around about the Assyrians and what would happen to Judah next. Uh, the Assyrians, when they uh, conquered a place, they would uh, take people from that place uh, and they would send some other part of the empire, uh, particularly the important people. They wanted to make sure uh, that um, the, there wasn't any kind of uprising against uh, their occupation, against their invasion. Um, so uh, Isaiah was, um, was proph prophesying and he was uh, serving under uh, kings who were terrified uh, of uh, this prospect what, that they would be next uh, on the hit list. So we see uh, that uh, Isaiah um, is spoken to by God. Uh, he's given this vision uh, of, the, uh, of God um, at a time of intense uh, uncertainty. Uh, both for him personally uh, and for the nation uh, of Judah as a whole. So on hearing the news, he's most likely uh, wondering uh, if he can keep his job, what it's going to look like uh, under a new king, uh, what his uh, role in all of this kind of change is going to be, um, and what the future of his country uh, looks like from this point. Uh, so I want to make three points uh, about uh, worship from this passage and then three points uh, about um, Isaiah's commission, about the, the way that he was sent. Uh, so my first point uh, is, uh, if you want to worship, uh, pray. Ask for God uh, to meet with you. Have you ever thought about why Isaiah had this vision? Occasionally uh, in scripture, uh, we do see God uh, showing up and revealing uh, himself to people completely unprompted. Uh, so uh, when Saul was on the Damascus road, uh, he, uh, God just shows up in power and reveals himself to him. Uh, we also see uh, that happening to Moses. He's in the desert, there's a burning bush. Uh, that's completely unprompted. Moses didn't ask for that encounter with God. Uh, but for these stories are remarkable uh, and, uh, because they're exceptions to the rule. For the most part, uh, stuff happens, uh, God acts, he does things um, when people pray. If you read through uh, the uh, story of Abraham, Abraham is constantly uh, interceding, he's constantly praying. If you read um, about uh, the way that Moses uh, led, led his people, he's constantly praying, asking for God to act. Um, Hannah prayed uh, that she would be able to have a baby. Uh, God acted. Uh, Elijah, um, he had this amazing experience of God and then uh, cried out to, uh, on Mount Carmel, cried out to God afterwards, uh, where are you? What, what, what's my uh, place in all of this? And God uh, showed up and revealed himself to Elijah. From what I've read of the book of Isaiah, I, I really get the sense that Isaiah was... Um, a guy who prayed a lot. He put himself uh, before God. He wanted to hear the word of God. And he heard it for himself uh, before he heard it uh, for the people. Uh, we're not told this directly, but um, I would not be at all surprised if this vision came to Isaiah as a result of him being on his knees before God and saying, this, um, 
nation needs you, God. This is a time of change. Uh, the king's just died. What's going to be uh, happening next? Um, and I, I'm sure he would have been someone who would have uh, got on his knees uh, for uh, his country. If you want more of God, ask him for it. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He wants to meet with you. That's always been my experience. God uh, has filled in and more than made up for my lack. I've experienced that, uh, particularly since stepping up into eldership uh, of this church. I don't feel uh, qualified, but God is good. He is faithful. So as a result of uh, his connection with God, both in prayer and in worship, Isaiah was solid in the face of crisis. He never lost a sense of God uh, with him, God for him, God speaking through him. And that continued uh, throughout his life. My second point uh, is that worship is not a decision, but directing it is. Worship is uh, giving worth to something. We, it's all people worship something. Um, Isaiah was very clear in his writing about uh, idols, uh, the idols, the idolatry that he saw in his nation in his day uh, just um, brought a, an anger to, to, to him, it brought um, a disgust to him uh, as um, he saw people around him worshipping idols that uh, represented success or favour or health, fertility, wealth, uh, family well-being, harmony, uh, or personal independence. We have all of those same things in our society. We just don't have the front end. They had the icon of the carved thing of metal or wood or stone. But all the idols are still just as present in our own society. What do you value? What do you place worth What do you draw your hope from? And crises expose idols. This is a time of crisis, and um, what you really trust, what you really put your hope in, becomes obvious uh, when you're up against the wall. And if there's a lack of uh, worshipping God, then it can lead you uh, to not be putting your trust in him. You can, it can lead you to uh, start to feel uh, overwhelmed uh, or powerless uh, relative uh, to uh, that immediate crisis that has uh, cropped up. It can lead us to switch off or tune out, to despair, to find no hope. The other direction that we can go without God um, is to fill the void uh, that God uh, leaves with other things, to put our trust in the means of deliverance from the crisis, the solutions that we might think up or uh, that we might have been advised on. That may or may not be what God has in mind, but there's a missourced hope if it doesn't come from God himself. A big life change moment for me, a kind of moment of crisis of thoughts, I guess, was uh, when I went to university, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you know that sense of the first time away from home, and uh, I can do what I want now. And I remember getting to the end of uh, Freshers' Week. I was 
um, fortunate enough, to, blessed enough to uh, go uh, to get a place at the University of Oxford. And it's a pretty academically intense place. And I got to the end of Freshers' Week, um, and I'd basically convinced myself that um, I didn't have what it took to make it through. Um, they used uh, the exams at the end of first year to whittle down the year, uh, and I thought I'm going to be gone at least by then, if not before. I had this sense of just feeling not good enough, of feeling overwhelmed. Simultaneously, I also made the opposite mistake uh, of um, believing that I could somehow make it all better by just uh, sheer hard work and just locking myself in my room and just hitting the books and that that was going to be the thing that would get me through. And in that state, at the end of Freshers' Week, with a whole load of homesickness thrown in as well, uh, I went to church. And... I stood in church and I was surrounded by a whole load of people who really, really worshipped God, who really, really believed what they were saying and what they were singing. I've never been to a church to that point where the liturgy was literally shouted because there was that level of faith um, for those of you who are not from a, a background where there's liturgy, liturgy is this kind of set form of words that you would say, and uh, the Anglican liturgy is uh, basically just straight out of the Bible, and it just guides you through a service. Um, and um, there was just a, uh, an amazing sense of God just meeting with me in my, in my place of need, um, and... Uh, lifting me and encouraging me. And I remember the preacher uh, basically just prophetically describing my particular situation from the front of the church, speaking to 600 people. Uh, and God just said, I know. I know where you're at. I care and I love you. And I made it through the first year. And actually I did pretty well by the end of it as well. God was with me, and he was faithful. God's answer to me was to reveal himself to me as I made the decision uh, to worship, to direct my worship to him and not fall into either despair or trusting in uh, any other means of deliverance. My third point about worship. When you worship, be ready for God. There was a time in my life, uh, actually immediately before I went to university, uh, for years when I didn't want to worship. I went along to church because that's what you did, went along with mum and dad. Um, and through that time I had an intense sense of my unworthiness uh, and my sin and a fear that if I let myself worship God, I have fear of what God might say to me because of what was on my mind, but also a fear of my emotional reaction to God, and a fear of uh, losing control emotionally uh, publicly, which when you're in your late teens is a pretty big thing. Uh, and I thought that somehow by not worshipping God, 
I could hide from him. Isaiah was faced with God himself. What anyone else might have thought of him in that moment becomes completely irrelevant. What God thinks and what he says is all that matters. And Isaiah says in response to seeing God in this way, he says, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah had an intense uh, realisation both of his personal lack of worthiness to be before God and of his society, his people's uh, unworthiness. Uh, As I've um, already said, idolatry was uh, ingrained in his society, uh, putting uh, this desire for success, happiness, power, and so on, outside of a trust in God, and a trust in receiving these things as gifts from God. And uh, Isaiah came to God with a sense of responsibility for the people that he helped to lead. And the uncleanness of both himself and his people brought shame to him as he stood uh, before God. But God's response to that is absolutely extraordinary. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar... And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The response of God to anyone coming before him and acknowledging sin, as Isaiah did, is always to show mercy, to show love and to show grace. The response of God uh, to Isaiah's confession of unworthiness is the cleansing of his presence. And uh, it's... It's significant that there's, there's fire involved uh, in this. Fire uh, represents uh, the uh, presence of God. We see that, as I've already referred to, in the burning bush. But there's also uh, the pillar of fire that leads uh, the um, uh, Israelites through the desert with Moses. There's the fire of God that falls uh, at Pentecost. And the fire of God uh, is uh, purifying, it's cleansing... And it also gives light uh, to see by. Moses saw differently after his experience of God at the burning bush. It turned his life around. uh, It brought him uh, back into uh, doing the purposes of God. Through the desert, uh, the Israelites followed the fire. And it gave them light in the darkness. And it exposed that there's a sense of the fire of God both burning up what's evil, but also giving light to make it obvious, to see it. It was a time of cleansing for God's people as they made their way from Egypt to the Promised Land. And at Pentecost, we see the fire, the Holy Spirit fire, falling on uh, the the timid disciples, and it changed their outlook on the world completely uh, as God just touched them. God turns Isaiah's life no more extraordinarily than any of these people 
as he receives the fire in this moment. God's response is uh, to send and commission Isaiah. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So what does uh, Isaiah's sending uh, look like? My first uh, point on commission uh, was that Isaiah was faithful to the call of God. As I've already said, uh, Isaiah 1, chapter 1, lists four kings uh, that uh, Isaiah uh, served under. So uh, Uzziah, who died uh, in in the year that this vision came to him, uh, was the first. Then there was a guy called Jotham, then Ahaz, and then Hezekiah. We don't read anything about what Isaiah said to Jotham. Jotham reigned for 16 years. When Ahaz took his place, we read in the next chapter, chapter 7, uh, what Isaiah said to him. Ahaz didn't accept uh, Isaiah's words, so Isaiah wrote them down as a testimony against the king, and then we don't hear about anything Isaiah did after that uh, until Hezekiah is on the throne. That's another 16 years later. I don't know how old Isaiah would have been when he had this vision of God. But if he was my age, then that would mean that he would have to wait until he was 50, until God used him to speak publicly. Until he was 66 years old, before anyone actually listened to him and did what he said. All in all, Isaiah served his people for 50 years. He never left his post, and he never gave up. God is looking for a people who are committed and devoted to him, who are tenacious and persistent. Because Isaiah displayed such a patience, he kept pursuing God. God honoured him and gave him a leading role in his nation. Contrast that with our society has a quick product cycle. The new thing gets cool and it's interesting and it's great and then the next day, the next period of time, it's, you know, we've moved on. We can allow this worldly way of thinking to affect us God is not ageist. God is faithful. I want to bring a challenge. How quick are we to expect results from God on our terms? How quick are we to give up on ourselves if we don't feel that we're getting the results that God would want us to have. You could argue that Isaiah made no visible impact for 32 years. But that's not God's perspective on those 32 years. If you're living in obedience to God, following his call, that's not God's perspective on you 
and on your situation either. And this morning, the challenge is, do you choose to agree with God about this or not? I feel that God uh, is calling us to uh, repentance for judging other people as well on results. God sees obedience. How are you going to honour those in our church who have been obedient for years and years? How do you view them? God wants this morning to turn your mindset to honour and to agree uh, with God and his perspective. The other thing that Isaiah did was he stuck it out in the same place. God never spoke to him and told him to go anywhere else. I know that a number of you have uh, a call on your life to go somewhere else, and that's great. That's so good that God has spoken to you about it. But there can be a tendency sometimes to look at people who God has spoken to and picked out like that and to say that somehow um, makes them more special and it's almost like it's a higher calling. It's not a higher or more worthy calling. Actually staying where you are is harder because there's no escape from your history. The world needs to see a church that is authentic, that is faithful, and that is persistent in showing the gospel and the goodness of God. This place needs you guys. So it doesn't matter how old you get sticking it out. God gets hold of that kind of obedience and he uses it to change nations. I believe, I believe that he will change this nation in ways that we won't even imagine because of stuff that people in this room will do. Even a small town like Hatfield. Secondly, uh, Isaiah... Uh, approach God uh, with a right fear. Uh, My story about uh, being afraid to worship God when I was a teenager uh, seems uh, very silly now, uh, years later, retelling it. Um, I was genuinely afraid of my emotional reaction to God if I let myself worship. And I was also uh, scared silly of any events where there were words of knowledge being brought. So words of knowledge uh, would be... Uh, so I went to, used to go to youth events where uh, somebody at the front would just uh, pray and ask God uh, to speak to them about uh, things that he would want to say to individuals in the room. And they would just you know, say, you in the blue T-shirt, God wants to say this to you, or you in the red T-shirt, like, I believe God's saying this. Um, and... I was absolutely terrified of being picked out at something like that. And I was really scared that God would say something uh, really personal or public that I didn't want 
everyone else to know, because I knew that God already knew everything about me, but I had this fear that God was going to pick me out, and I just wanted to kind of crawl away and hide in a corner as a result. Um, it sounds really silly saying this from the front here, but there we go. Um, um, that's a wrong fear of God. David spoke a couple of weeks ago and, uh, about a right fear of God where he um, saying when he, there have been times when he's been worshipping and he's just been afraid to open his eyes because the sense of the intense presence of God was so there uh, that he, if it felt like God, if he opened his eyes, God would be right there. And there's that kind of right fear of uh, just the awesomeness of God in that moment. Um, I've been uh, in uh, prayer meetings or um, times uh, together where uh, the, wor- the presence of God is just so strong and thick that... Um, the worship leader will just uh, finish a song and then they will just, we will just stand in awe of God and who he is. And nobody dares bring anything. Nobody dares speak up because there's just such a weight of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah had a right fear of God. There was a reverent fear of God that you would get if you'd seen what he had seen. Everything and everyone else is put in their place by seeing God for who he is. But Isaiah didn't see a God who forced himself uh, on people, uh, who forced his ways of doing things on people, or uh, like I was afraid of when I was a teenager, um, uh, publicly bought something that uh, brought shame or humiliation uh, to someone. Quite the opposite. Isaiah uh, brought God's words to Ahaz, Uh, And Ahaz went off and did the opposite uh, of what Isaiah had um, uh, prophesied. And Ahaz lived with the consequences of that, as did the nation of Judah under his leadership. God didn't publicly shame him or tell Isaiah anything uh, that was uh, private or personal about him. God is awesome, he's powerful and he's glorious, but he's also kind, gentle and loving. And the more you get to know God, uh, the more uh, you trust him. I don't go uh, to Catalyst uh, with the same sense of uh, wrong fear of getting picked out that I used to have because as I've spent time with God and got to know him, I know that he is a good God. God's given me that emotional strength and also the, the right perspective on who he is that I lacked as a teenager. And thirdly, Isaiah had confidence uh, in God's leading. Romans 12 verse 1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. It's clear to me on uh, reading uh, the book of Isaiah that he had an absolutely brilliant mind. But what made Isaiah different from all the other smart people of his day was that he submitted all that he was to God. Just as Paul would write all these uh, years later in his letter to the Romans. 
as a result uh, of Isaiah's willingness to give himself to God, God revealed more and more of who he was to Isaiah. God, Isaiah used uh, the gifts that God had given him to bring fre- fresh revelation uh, of God to everyone who would listen uh, to him. Isaiah didn't just lean on God to hear what God had to say, but he also leaned on God for the confidence to say it. It's not easy to go before a king and tell them that they're wrong. And actually God says this, to present the undiluted truth of God. But God gave him the courage. He gave him the confidence uh, to do that and to speak out for him. If you read the book of Esther in the Old Testament, a big theme of that whole book is the way that God gave Esther the confidence in that same uh, situation to go before a king and to speak out. Worship was what gave Isaiah that confidence. He knew who his God was. And that levelled everything and everyone that came against him, whoever opposed him. He knew who he was made to be, and he drew strength from God to do what he couldn't do in his own, own ability. The confidence to stand before kings and tell them they are wrong does not come naturally to any man. But Isaiah had stood before God and lived. And he made every moment from that day count. God has made every one of you brilliant. There are things that each of you can do, things that each of you can say to people that nobody else can do, nobody else can say quite like you. God wants to reveal who he is through you. He's made you temples of the Holy Spirit. That means that when you go to a place, God in you goes to that place. And people in that place meet with God because you're there. So just by, to, to conclude, uh, to wrap up here, Isaiah was faithful to the call of God. He went for years without what anyone would call uh, results visibly, but he persisted in obedience. Isaiah was rewarded for being tenacious in his pursuit of God and got an incredible revelation. What Alex read this morning, it's the words of Isaiah. Probably Isaiah would be the only Old Testament prophet I can think of that gets read out at both Easter and Christmas. Isaiah approached God with a right fear. As a result, he knew God personally and he understood what God is like. And Isaiah knew who his God was and it levelled everything. So just as the bands uh, come up now, um, we're going to have a time uh, of worship again uh, to conclude. And uh, there are three groups of people that I believe that God wants to uh, speak to today uh, to encourage and to respond uh, to the challenge of the life 
uh, of Isaiah. The first group of people uh, are people who um, you want to be more sure of who your God is, to find uh, your security in him, to know that he levels the playing field in front of you, to know that he's your keeper, he's your defender. There's a second group of people I think God uh, really wants to meet with you this morning. Uh, and uh, this was um, uh, when I was chatting uh, through what I was going to say this morning with Helen. Uh, she had a picture of a, uh, a rope and somebody holding on to uh, that rope and uh, feeling like they've run out of grip on the rope. And you're, if your hands are slipping down a rope, you're getting rope burn, it hurts. God wants to restore your tenacity this morning for holding on to him. And finally, I think God wants to bring a blessing this morning. God wants to bring his perspective on your life. Um, and it would be our absolute honour for, for anyone from the ministry team to stand with you. And uh, if this is you, uh, to stand with you and uh, as you make a step this morning, a stand this morning to say, I agree with God about his perspective on my life. The results that I thought, I thought I could do this, I thought I could do that. No, God says, well done for being obedient. He wants to restore that perspective his perspective, and speak his truth this morning.